0: Support for Talk of the Towns comes from the Maine Community Foundation, partnering with donors and nonprofits to strengthen Maine's economy by focusing on education, leadership, and quality of place on the web at MaineCf.org. And Talk
1: of the Towns with your host Ron Beard is up
2: next. <music>
3: operates out of a sense that everyone benefits when we share our knowledge, our experience, our concerns, our perspectives. We're about to practice the magic of community radio in which those of us in the studio and you who are listening create a dialogue that we hope will be of benefit to our friends, our neighbors, and colleagues. I hope you'll stay with us for the next hour and talk of the towns. Well, as we start, uh, think of your own journey. What combination of gumption and family and community support allowed you to further your life in the transition from high school whether directly to the world of work or through higher education to the work you now call your own chances are it wasn't easy for you and it certainly isn't easy for most of today's students in the communities of Deer Isle and Stonington, they're taking no chances. They've got a suite of interconnected programs that making is making that transition a bit easier. And I'm very happy to um, have back in the studio um, two of uh, my colleagues over the years. Um, uh, Kim Hutchinson is the coordinator of Project Launch. Welcome to you, Kim. Thank you. And Todd West is the principal at Deer Isle Stonington High School. Welcome back, Todd.
2: Yes, thank you, Ron. Good to be here.
3: So um, let's start a little bit with Kim. Uh, tell us. About about your own journey. You grew up in Stonington. Um, What was your journey like um, going from high school to to the wider world?
1: Well, I did grow up in Stonington, and I graduated from Deer Isle Stonington High School. I went to UMaine my first year of college. I was a first generation, or I am a first generation college goer, and the support that was available then for students was radically different than it is now. Um, I was remembering this morning that the extent of college search was two catalogs that were outside the guidance office, and you looked through them and um, tried to find a place you thought might be a good fit for you. Um, I, Like I said, I ended up going to UMaine, and my first year, I was an education major, and I struggled mm. significantly mm. at the school. And, um I felt out of place, homesick. I was unsure about the expectation, the academic expectation. Mm-hmm. I did reasonably well my first semester, but then I almost failed out my second semester. Mm-hmm. I got through, but it, it was just a real challenge for me. Mm-hmm. I, um, the next year, I decided to transfer, and I went to a smaller school in Vermont, and it was 1,800 kids, and that made a big difference for me. I really found a home there, and I, I loved being at school in Vermont. Um, I... Then I was there for three years, and then I, I was a psychology major, and I did a exchange program with the University of Southern Maine in Portland so that I had a, you know, I went back and forth between those two schools. It was a, something with their psychology program. so But I graduated from Johnson State College in Vermont with a degree in psychology and an English minor, and then I went back to UMaine. About ten years later, and got my master's in clinical social work right so so, so my... what
3: was the what was the for you Did you always know you wanted to go to college? Was your family um encouraging you to college what was that that thought process like?
1: I always knew it was sort of a given with my parents that I would go mm-hmm. um, they so they were very supportive, but they were as confused as I was, or it was as much of an unknown for them as it was for me. Mm. So for we all had a learning curve in trying to navigate the college landscape and the expectation and what that experience would be like. Mm. So, but yes, it was always just a given. Mm-hmm. I don't remember having a question mark in my mind about what I would do.
3: And how about, how about um, some of your um, other students in, that graduated with you um, that went into the world of work? Was um, that an easier transition for them in those days, do you think? Um, did they did they have uh, parents, um, others who were kind of supporting them in that path? Or, or was it a struggle for them, do you suppose, as well?
1: You know, I'm not sure. I, I know that a lot of the kids, the Deer Isle Stonington High School kids that I started college with dropped out. Mm. And um, so they sort of had that combo experience of starting out in academia and then dropping out and going into the world of work. I know when I talk to those people now, um, I mean, I'm 47, and when I talk to those folks that I see around now, they regret, you know, they wish they had the uh, support, either financial or emotional, to continue on their academic path. Mm. And a lot have actually gone back to school mm-hmm. later in life and mm-hmm. gotten that degree that they had started out, you know, trying for to begin with. So, so I'm not sure. I mean, I th- then I think I went to school with a fair amount of people, you know, mostly males who were really certain that they wanted to fish mm-hmm. or they wanted to do some other kind of work, and they seemed to you know, overall been pretty happy with that decision. Right, um, right. So I think a it's pretty hard clear to path generalize for right. some of those folks. Right.
3: Yeah, yeah. Todd, what about you? What was your um, high school to to uh, um, the rest of <laughs> life transition <laughs> like for you? Um, Probably not, not by the books.
2: Um, I grew grew up outside of Boulder, Colorado. Went to a large suburban high school, and uh, at least at least Kim apparently had two catalogs outside the guidance <laughs> office. Um, I I simply looked at an atlas and figured out that Maine was as uh, as far away as I could get from where I went to high school, and still remain in the continental United States. And so I I visited College of the Atlantic on a rainy Saturday in July didn't talk to anyone didn't uh, take a tour of the campus but ended up going there um, and had a, a you know had no support network, no friends no family and I think by absolute pure luck it ended up working um, it was it was a relatively easy transition probably because I wasn't smart enough to realize that it should have been harder than it was but um <laughs> it ended up working but certainly in hindsight and you know thinking of students that I work with at the high school or my own daughter um, I sure hope that they have a better college search process and a uh, better support network than I had. Mm.
3: So, mm. so you graduated from COA, College of the Atlantic, yep. and then how did you get into the field of education? Was that something that you always thought about or was that something you discovered?
2: Yeah, it was, uh, it was certainly one of the many things that I was interested in when I entered college and as I continued to move through courses at COA became more and more interested uh, started volunteering at Mount Desert Island High School and really, uh, you know, the, the first time I started working with students in the classroom, really realized that that was what I wanted to do. So mm-hmm. then it, it it became the focus of where mm-hmm. I wanted to go. Mm-hmm.
3: So to tell us a little bit about your kind of introduction to Deer Isle Stonington High School and some of the challenges that you uh, found fairly soon after um, that, yep. that that school had.
2: Yeah, certainly. Um, I, I became principal at Deer Isle Stonington High School in 2007. And uh, shortly thereafter, in in 2009, uh, we had the lowest graduation rate in the state of Maine that year. We had a 57% graduation rate and a 10% dropout rate, um, both of which were the worst in the state, as I mentioned. And then the year after, in 2010, um, we were listed as one of the 10 persistently low-achieving schools in the state of Maine. Uh, it was a new list that came out in response to the federal government's Race to the Top uh, initiative, um, and basically, you know, the the, the Department of Education wasn't listed as such, but it was a 10 worst schools list, and um, after the initial kind of shock wore off, uh, the the school, the teachers, the students, the parents, and the community really came together and said, okay whether whether we feel this is 100% accurate or not you know what if what if we tried to be on the 10 best schools list mm. and uh we've worked really hard over the last 5 years to to improve what we offer all of our students in hopes that that every student who comes through our school graduates and is is Career and college ready when they leave.
3: So, what were some of the factors that you kind of found when you got there that might have led to the those that that low designation? What mm-hmm. what, what did you find?
2: Mm-hmm. Well, there's certainly uh, in Deer Isle and Stonington, there's a unique economic situation, and, and um, you know our our communities are are really successful fishing communities and have been for a long time, and so there's there's a lot of um, pride. And tradition connected with that and people have been able to make a very good living for a very long time without necessarily needing a formal education in school and and certainly now uh, they just released the 2014 lobster landings in the state of Maine and and, uh, Stonington had 57 million dollars worth of lobster landings last year which is a a very impressive total Um, and so there I think traditionally there has been a pull out of school um, you know, the old story of you need to graduate from high school so you can go to college to get a good job isn't isn't necessarily <laughs> right, true right, in Stonington. Sure. There's a lot of really good jobs without that. Um, I think the school also, uh, my introduction to most people at the school was, I uh, you know, they would say their name and they would say, you're my X number of principal in, in Y years. There was quite a lot of turnover at the administrative level for a long time before I got there. Um, and so I think... I think a lot of different factors contributed to um, some of the challenges that were in place at the time.
3: Mm. Kim, did you see some of those factors um, kind of, go, you came back to the community, and were you kind of serving some of those factors? And I think you worked at the high school at various times, kind of helping students with things. What were some of the factors you saw leading to perhaps this, this low designation?
1: Um, I agree with everything that Todd said, and, and you're right. I did come back um, after i gotten my bachelor's degree. I came back to the island, and I was not at all sure that I would stay there. Um, I thought, in fact, I wouldn't, but um, I sort of had my sights set on the larger wider more exciting world but i ended up uh getting a job i was the executive director at healthy island project for about 12 years so i and i loved that job and it was all about you know community mobilizing and trying to tackle some of the issues that were the social things that were happening you know youth empowerment and um economic development and so i like to think that i actually got the job that i would have had to go away to get right, in my right. own community and um which was a great experience. And through that job, I worked in the schools a lot, and I did see a lot of the things that Todd has mentioned. Um, And I think there was also less of a focus on the community school partnerships that he's brought. Hmm. That's a really new thing for us, and the openness with the school to have people that aren't strictly school personnel or educators in the school working closely with the kids and trying to create a real partnership and a collaboration of efforts that so make we, it we stronger.
3: Cer- we've certainly seen schools that have kind of circled the wagons, if you use that phrase, and say, okay, we're going to solve our problems within. Sounds like that may have been happening to to some extent. And Todd, you've kind of rethought that a little bit.
2: Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I mean, we, I, I think we were at a place where we realized that um, we really needed to look at things differently and and that the way to improve our students education wasn't necessarily to make some incremental you know tweak tweak this thing a little bit tweak that thing a little bit but um, what would it take to really transform our school so that it works for every student um, and in order to do that we had to look at things really differently including what is the relationship between the school and the community We have a really rich community that has so many resources in so many different ways. I mean, the 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 history and tradition and skill and expertise that exists within the fishing industry um, is just waiting to be tapped by schools. And then in our community, of course, we also have this tremendous arts um, culture and, and world-renowned arts organizations that have always done educational programming. But as a school, we've we had seen that as kind of extra stuff mm. that got mm. dropped in when it could fit we never right. thought until just recently well what if we really fully integrated that into our teaching mm. and learning uh, what impact would that have and so you know i think i think realizing that our community has so much to offer it make it doesn't make any sense to not try and and utilize that for the good of the school the community and the students benefit so much from that also
3: mm and i recall kim that um you were part of um probably a collection of people that w- was involved um in in promoting something called ready by 21 in its early early, early days. Um, Tell us a little bit about what that effort, that was in response to the school's um, kind of failing grade. Um, What were some of the things that you were talking about, you and your colleagues were talking about in terms of this concept of Ready by 21, ready for both college or work, depending on what the students' needs were?
1: Well, I think it wasn't somewhat in response to that, but there was a foundation piece that came before. um, Ready by 21 started actually through Healthy Peninsula, um, I myself left my Healthy Island Project job um, when I had my daughter, and I was a stay-at-home mom for a bit. And then I was brought back into the workforce through Healthy Peninsula. And I was uh, contacted by then Executive Director Barbara Pepe, and I was hired there as their community outreach and youth worker. And we did um, a few years of substance abuse programming and in throughout the peninsula, but in particularly in Deer Island, Stonington. And after doing that work for a few years, we found that the need was much greater. Like we needed to be looking at a broader view of the problem. And then that brought the Ready by 21 model to the table, which is just to look at, like you mentioned earlier, like all aspects of a young person's development and getting students ready for college work life Hmm. and the skills that they might need. So um, I left Ready by 21 when I started project launch or when I was hired to do that. So I was just there for the first year Mm. or two of getting that program up and going. But like you mentioned, it's still very active today. And, um, Kira Alex is the director and they have a great board and also are using that model of bringing in a lot of different community resources and they have a great mentoring program and just, um, we we're sorry she couldn't be here today because right. that's another critical piece of the partnership within the high school
3: Well, I remember one of those early community meetings where um, business people, people associated with the church, average um, you know um, parents and so on came together to yeah. say well, what what you know what can we do? It was a great meeting and and it was so inspiring, really, Mm -hmm. to say, oh, these are all people who live in the community, Todd, as you said, that really wanted to do something. And and the the difference was you kind of welcomed them in or you and the school board decided to welcome them in rather than say, no, we can handle these things. I think the,
2: the two differences were, number one, the openness to that, and then number two, uh, we've made a really conscious effort to not say no to crazy ideas. Uh-huh. You know, so, so Kira's Kira Alex, who's the coordinator of Ready by Twenty One mentoring, uh, had the the crazy idea of connecting every single student. In our school, at the start of 11th grade, with a one-on-one adult mentor wow. who would stay with them until they were 21. So it wasn't just a high school mentoring right. program, right. Um, and it you know it wasn't a group mentoring program. It was every single kid would have a mentor, and and you know of course your first response is well, how can you pull that off? There's no way that can happen. Uh, but instead of saying that right off the bat, we said okay, let's figure out how we can make it work. Um, you know, just like Project Launch, which I'm sure <laughs> we'll get into in a second, but. Um, the the first question we started asking is okay let's just see if we can make that work instead of there's no way you can find an adult mentor for every kid for 5 years and and so uh we've let that develop and and our group of graduating seniors this year is going to be the first group that's had these mentors and the the impact that I've seen on the students and their development and growth and just kind of their their confidence as, as young adults um, is really tremendous to see and to think where that
3: can go. Long term mm. is is mm. pretty exciting to think about. Mm. We all need mentors, we, and we've often had them. We haven't necessarily had the luxury of kind of having somebody else help us with that process. We yes. found them on our own. Um, so, Kim, one of the, the you know the hopes of Ready by Twenty One was ready for college, and um, you um, have moved on to um, um, kind of lead Project Launch. Tell us a little bit about that and its its uh, underpinnings, if you will. What led to Project Launch?
1: Well, what led to Project Launch? I mentioned just a bit ago that um, I had been with my job at Healthy Peninsula and then I was approached by a representative of the Maine Community Foundation and they said that there was some interest in trying to determine in coastal communities if there was an issue with college retention and what that looked like and would I be interested in doing some sort of a research process, whether that was focus groups or a needs assessment, or um, to determine what was the extent of that problem, and if there was one, and what it might look like to form some solutions. So I accepted, I was very excited about that, and I said yes, I'd love to work on it, and I actually started a pilot project, this was in 2012, with four students, um, D. R. L. Stonington High School graduates, who were entering into college in the fall. I started to work with them in the spring, and I tracked them throughout the next year. Of, And what I wanted from them was information. What was their college experience like? Where did they need help? Where did they feel unprepared? What would have been helpful? Uh, just you know, the whole thing, and stayed in real close touch with them. And then at the end of that time, with the information that they had presented, and also during that time, I talked with the community members and the school educators, and just tried to get a real feel for where people were at around that question. So... There was a clear need for some additional support when our kids left high school and tried to go into the post-secondary world. So I filed that report, and based on that, I was asked would I like to create a program that would start to tackle some mm-hmm. of those Issues which I absolutely did, mm. and that was three years ago. And we uh, Maine Community Foundation gave us a five-year grant to get started, which was pretty incredible to have that core funding to get the program up off the ground. And things have just really gone like lightning since then.
3: So the notion is that you you pair an existing college student with someone who is about to to start that process, even looking for college and then into the college um, first year to second year?
1: It is. It's, um, it's meant to be sort of wraparound support from when the student is in the high school and then when they leave. So that means that there's a fair amount of overlap, that, especially the senior year for a student, where I'm working in close partnership with the guidance office. Um, let me back up for a minute. Um, sure. We had an unusual circumstance in that when I first started, we had funding, and a need, and interest, and no organization that would be the sponsor. So I approached Todd and the school board to see if the high school would become the fiscal sponsor for Project Launch, and they accepted, which was wonderful, and that has been a great, really a great partnership, and it really formalized and solidified the partnership with the school for me, you know, that community school thing that we talked about. So then as well, like I was saying, the wraparound support, we work i work very closely with the guidance office in the high school and try to be a familiar presence with the kids um junior and senior year but like i said in particular in their senior years they're starting to tackle you know, what will going to college look like, applications, scholarship applications, financial aid, parents are, things become real. You know, something that we've seen is that there can be a lot of talk with families about college, but in the senior years, when they start to realize, you know, I mean, we advocate, let's start planning earlier, but it doesn't always happen. And then things come to the end point of senior year and it's, oh, it's here. Mm. We need to figure this out now. So there's a fair amount of intensity. And stress for the family, and especially the first generation families, you know, that don't—they're not sure how to navigate that landscape. So, so there's that piece. Um, me, just kind of kicking around, you know, the high school being available at designated times to work with the students, and that has been great for me to establish a relationship with them and to have them start thinking. What right. what, what about after high school? How well, this just
3: let, let me remind listeners that are tuned to Talk of the Towns this morning. And we're talking about support for success in high school and the transition transition to college and work. We're using um, Deer Isle Stonington as a kind of a community that's exemplifying that support. And in the studio, you've just heard from Kim Hutchinson, who is the coordinator of Project Launch. And also in the studio with us is Todd West, who's principal at Deer Isle Stonington High School. So, Todd, as you saw um, the, the opportunity for Project Launch and, and seen it in operation what are some of the things that you strike you as as principal
2: well i i think the um the results speak for themselves um you know the, the the retention of our students as they're going to college the last two years has been quite a bit higher than in the past and so i i think it it really speaks to uh the power of those relationships and what can come when people have that support And it, and it really is it's not it's not one piece of support. Um, it's it's project launch, it's a great guidance department, um, You know, it, it's the Ready by 21 mentoring, it, it's some other community and school supports that we have, and so um, there's no one thing that's right. gonna make it work for every kid, but if you have this safety net that has multiple different approaches that make it up, um, the chances of, of helping every kid make that transition successful Um, increases quite a bit.
3: So um, this is a a wild question, but what's guidance like at at schools these days? And and it seems like Kim is playing a really important role that most guidance folks wouldn't have. Is Mm -hmm. that right?
2: Well, yeah, uh, certainly an an extra asset. Uh, We have... You know, we're a small school. We have 118 students. Uh, We have a full-time guidance counselor. Uh, She's fantastic. Uh, Really does a great job. Um, Is is so knowledgeable. Um, Sometimes, sometimes I just want to like throw her a curveball and name some off-the-wall college or career and see if she knows what to get, what the entrance requirements are. Uh Because I think she probably does. Uh Um, But she she really knows what it takes uh, from even before high school to help, you know, based on what students want to do, and it doesn't have to be college. If a student right, right. wants to go fishing, you know, when she moved here, she really educated herself on the process of how you get a fishing license, you mm. know, a lobster license, a commercial license. Mm. Um, but to take student interests and, and family interests and aspirations and, and to help support kids from a very early process. And, you know, if, you, uh, if you're if you interested in going to, Uh, certain colleges you need to be thinking about the courses that you take as a ninth grader Uh, for other colleges you need to be thinking about um, some some basic skills so that you don't have to spend your tuition money on remedial courses that you don't get credit for Uh, for certain professions uh, there's certain requirements that you need to be ready to meet Um, and so so you know the guidance counselor really works quite a bit with individual students and families to talk about where do you want to go Mm. and okay if that's where you want to go this is what it's going to take to get there and then to have resources like project launch ready by 21 we have a a wonderful college coaching program where community members um, kind of one-on-one assist the student through the college search and application process uh, it really lets our guidance counselor have a lot more tools to work with kids, and so you know if you think of thirty kids in a graduating class each trying to get one on one time with the guidance counselor, if we also have all these other resources, they get a lot more support and attention
3: mm. so. Kim, tell us about the the, um, the, the um, college folks uh, mentors, you call them gurus. Tell us about that concept. How did that emerge?
1: The guru concept came about. Um, I actually thought when I started that I could be the one that provided all that support, you know, just me, one-on-one with the kids, Mm -hmm. and it quickly exploded. Um, Right now we have over 50 kids and 30 trained gurus, so that tells you that I was a little ambitious in what I thought (laughs) I could pull off. And in that first year when I was working with the kids, um, I had a chance conversation with a niece of mine who was in her second year of college, and I told her a little bit about what I was trying to pull off, and she gave me her thoughts, which is... um, She'd struggled and that she would love, love to be a part of anything I was doing. And she said, I'll talk to any student that you think maybe my story could be helpful. Hmm. And that just germinated in my mind. And I thought, hmm, maybe the message coming from a recent college student would be different than the support that I could give. um, And maybe we can spread this out a little bit. And so that just kind of went from there. and I began to see that it would make a lot of sense if the student could be matched, you know, connected with someone who had from a similar, you know, I say background, but from the same town, mm. same community, and um, might have a instinctive understanding of mm. some issues that they might grapple with or, you know, so because they would have recently done it themselves. So, so that's how the gurus came about. And we even started small, and like I said, it's just exploded. So the gurus are all... Past graduates of Deer Stonington High School, and they're all either in their junior senior year of high of uh, college or just recently graduated.
3: Would you like to introduce um, the guru called Pat Shepard? I know Pat from other work, but maybe you'd like to introduce him, and he's on the line. So, um, introduce him first.
1: Yes. Um. So, hey, Pat. So glad that you're here with us. Um. This is one of my stand-up gurus. He's worked with six students so far. Um. He. Went to our high school, as you know, and when, then went to school out of state. He's come back, and he's working at Penobscot East Resource Center, and he's brought so much to the students that he's worked with, even having them come in and work with him you know, at his job, and he's just made a real effort to be a part of things, to attend the events, to stay in touch with the kids, and has made a big difference for the students that he's worked with. So,
3: Welcome, Pat. Glad that you can be with us. Hi, Ron. Thanks for having me. Uh, and I owe you a phone call, so I'll, I'll get to that later sometime this weekend. Or so. so, But right, let's um, go ahead and talk about the Guru Program. Um, what attracted you to, to get involved with uh, Kim and, and Project Launch? Uh,
4: well, um, I, think, uh, uh, I think it's important to remember that uh, uh, sort of the biggest support system that a student can have is, uh, is their parents. Mm. Um, and, uh, and, and, uh, what I liked about this program was, uh, the fact that we're not replacing, uh, the parents as their support system, but we're sort of adding to that, uh, sort of a, uh, technical support for college, um, sort of aspect. Um, and that, that's what drew me in. I, I had a, an incredible support system when I was, uh, headed off to college. Uh, my parents, uh, my mom and dad were, were, uh, an incredible support system for me as was my brother um and uh uh but that only went so far uh you know neither uh neither neither of my parents went to college uh my brother didn't go to college they uh decided to learn a trade and and uh and work in a in a different field Uh, my father's a commercial fisherman my brother's a commercial fisherman my mom is a cosmetologist and and they're great at what they do they're um, they run very successful businesses, um, uh, but they had never been to college before. So they, I was sort of, you know, missing the the tech support, you know, for college uh, that uh, you know the uh, the guru program here is able to provide. So that's what sort of drew me in. I've, I've enjoyed uh, I've enjoyed mentoring the students or or being their guru um, and uh, sort of guiding them through the things that their regular support system can't help them uh, sort of figure out as good as people that are fresh out of college.
3: What, what are some of the questions or, or concerns that um, uh, high school students bring as they think about college? What what do you help them with? What, how do you support them?
4: Uh, well, we, uh, we we help them uh, really with any anything they can. Uh, you know, they could come to us with a a question about, uh, you know, what do they do if their roommates are driving them nuts? Or uh-huh. uh, where do they go on campus if they want to have their resume looked at? Or um, if there are internship opportunities, where do they where do they go? Who do they talk to? Who who are they? Who would it be good to know? Um, so we we help them with that kind of stuff. Um, I've uh, I've had a couple of students so far who have uh, adjusted very well to college and have needed uh, very little support. Um, and probably have stayed in contact with me, you know, off and on, very sporadically. Uh, but um, just knowing that we're there, just knowing that they have that, that person that they can call, I think offers a lot of uh, a lot of comfort. A lot of uh, so it's, it's like a safety blanket for them. Um, we're like their uh, uh, first aid kit for college. You know, it it's <laughs> on the shelf, and when you need it, it's, it's there. Uh, but if you don't need it, it's
3: great. Do you remember anything that you wish you had had um as a as a college student going away to college um what- what were you missing most do you suppose
4: oh gee uh that's a good question i i think um uh probably just the uh the experience of getting away yeah. uh was was probably one of the biggest shocks for me i i uh i come from a small town in, in Stonington. i never really got away too too much um and just having the experience of uh, being in a different place, being with a lot of people, was very different for me. Um, I think more experiences for uh, high school level and, and uh, junior high and even elementary level students, uh, having them uh, you know, be in situations where they can get out and, and experience different things is, is really helpful when they start to transition
3: to great. college. Great, great. Well, Pat, thanks for taking time out of your day, and I think you're at a conference of some sort. So, um, thanks so much for your work both with Penobscot East, but as a as a guru. Yeah, thanks a lot,
4: Ron. We'll
3: see you. Okay, Pat Shepard, who's um, with Penobscot East, but also a guru with Project Launch. Um, you're tuned to Talk of the Towns this morning. We're talking about support for success in high school um, and the transition to college and work with Todd West who is principal of Deer Isle Stonies in High School and Kim Hutchinson coordinator of Project Launch. Before we open the phone lines I want to get the the other part of the story. Todd you've you've uh, developed something called the Pathways Program and you mentioned a couple of those um, based on the community that you found yourself in um, the the marine trades and the arts trades. And I understand health is another health, health careers is another one. Talk about the, the origin of Pathways and, and how they work.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, as I mentioned earlier, uh, you know, the, the school five and six years ago certainly had some challenges in front of it uh, with a uh, very low graduation rate being on the, the uh, state's list of low achieving schools. And our, our staff especially came together and put a lot of stuff in place to address those issues. And so, you know, for the last three years, our graduation rate has been over 90 percent each of those years and so we have a really solid uh, dropout prevention system in place our our achievement test scores have slowly increased also over the last three years we've had the highest scores we've ever had and so we feel like we've done a lot of really good work at the same time we can also look at 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 our students, and we see two things. Um, even with all the progress that we've made, over half of our students when they graduate, um, it's difficult for us to, to say that they're probably not proficient in some of the skills that are going to make them successful after high school. And you're not alone. I mean, that's no, that's, that's true that's through that's throughout of, high yep, school experiences. Yep, yep, right? Yep. And right. so we, as a staff, we feel like we're really doing a great job, and there's only so far we can take... Um, you know, a, a traditional model of education that we, even if we taught twice as hard and <laughs> twice as well, we weren't right. going to see twice 100% increase. Right. Um, and so, and then we also, as we look at our students, even our even our high-performing students, we're not sure how engaged all of them are in their education. I think a lot of students see school as something you go through. You have to go through it, and you're not always sure why, and you and a lot of students aren't always excited about, about it. And it's not just the students who are at risk of dropping out. I, you know, We see it kind of across the board. And so we decided in, instead of um, ignoring the problem, we were going to try and tackle that head-on. And so we, we've created something we call the Pathways Initiative, and we're trying to match student interest and community strengths with programs that offer both college and career um, next steps. Right. And so, you know, we, our community is, has a strong fishing industry as well as other, you know, Penobscot East is a, is a marine-related advocacy and a science group. And so we're trying to connect our students who are really interested in those topics with community resources and strengths, so that when they graduate, um, they're, they've become lifelong learners and they're really excited about their education. And so they, they could go into the fishing industry, they could go to college to be a marine biologist, they could go into the shipping industry. You know, there's a whole host of careers out there. And then the same thing in the arts. Uh, pathway. We have a lot of students who are really interested in that, they excel at it, we have these great community resources, and there's such clear uh, post-secondary connections uh, for students who want to enter the workforce or for students who want to go to college. And then uh, on the healthcare side, we actually, we have as many students interested in pursuing a career in healthcare as we do in fishing. Uh, It's just not as visible in our community all the time. And we have uh, some healthcare organizations are in our community who do a great job, but they all have the same problem of not being able to find enough licensed staff. And so our our vision is: could a healthcare pathway um, open doors for our students uh, at, at any level of the healthcare profession? Um, you know, it's not just a pre med program, but it's there's a whole lot of really good jobs in the healthcare industry that that. You don't have to be a doctor or a nurse, um, so we open doors for students and possibly, uh, long term, provide a few more qualified employees for our local healthcare organizations, so that they can continue to provide the services that our community
3: needs. Right. Right. So um, I'm going to open up our phone lines and, and I'll come back to you and ask a little bit more about the Marine Pathways uh, program because that's been the longest uh, kind of running experiment and, and uh, showing some results. But I'll remind listeners that they can participate in our conversation about support for success in high school and the transition to college and work. Give us a call at 1-866-625-9378. 1-866-625-9378. Um, Todd, tell us a little bit about the marine pathways, and and that's um, in in this and probably the others. You're using something called experience-based education. Mm-hmm. Is that is that the right term well, or something like a, that? Well,
2: there's a whole lot of okay, yeah. uh, terms we can yeah. throw on it, but uh, really, really the idea is um, we're trying to take the same rigorous academics that all schools across the state and across the country are expected to make sure that all students get in this day and age. And I don't want to get into a conversation <laughs> about the common core or anything like that. But, right. um, you know, when students graduate high from high school, they need to have certain skills and they need to know certain things. Um, and and what we're trying to do is take those same rigorous outcomes and package them in kind of hands-on inside and outside of the school learning activities so that students are excited about it, Um, they see the relevance to their future aspirations as well as their current interests, and what it does is it gets them excited to understand why they need to learn those things. Um, and or sometimes even it's like as a parent you know when you slide the vegetables in uh, and cover them up with something really tasty you know it's it's like maybe they don't realize that they're getting right. a lot of math and science because they're having so much fun but at the right. end of
3: the day they are right. So um, the marine pathways I know that you've had a couple of projects that s- students are involved in and it's it's also your the marine pathways is part of a network um, throughout the mid coast and down east. Yep. Tell us a little bit more about that.
2: Yeah, so uh, the Marine Studies Pathway is a Deer Isle Isle Stonington High School initiative, and it's it's really looking at marine issues broadly, Um, you know, like like I said, from marine biology to fishing, anything that can be put under that marine Mm -hmm. umbrella. Deer Isle Stonington High School is also part of something called the Eastern Maine Skippers Program that really seeks to build... A, a cohort of future fishermen in eastern Maine from Vinyl Haven to Jonesport at the moment where students engage in, act, in, in activities that are related to fishing and academics so that they can be prepared to really contribute to the, the, their fishing communities and fishing industry now as well as in the future.
3: Because uh, the fishing industry, even though it feels like you mentioned how many millions of dollars mm. of landings, yep. uh, it's going to be changing. And unless um, new entrants into the fishing industry have some additional skills, they're going to be struggling mm. when the, those changes come. And they're going to come at us because of warming oceans, I suppose, changing markets, um, disease, all of those kinds of things are going to come at us. Mm. And you're helping students to think outside the box a little bit
2: absolutely and and to see how academics can really help uh, perhaps um, give them some skills in the in the policy arena or the the finance arena that that maybe um, aren't part of the traditional fishing skill set uh, that that is so effectively taught within the the informal on the water educational system. Mm. Um, you know so that that's definitely the goal
3: One eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. if you'd like to participate with us in this morning's talk of the towns um, um i understand that you've brought tears to adults eyes or <laughs> some, some of your participants in the eastern maine skippers program has done that Ta- talk about uh, both your your um, work at the maine fishermen's forum and i understand their conference in massachusetts
2: yeah it certainly wasn't me uh, <laughs> we had much more compelling speakers than myself but um you know, as we're into the second year of our marine studies pathway, and second year of the Eastern Maine Skippers program, and um, you know, we we don't have quantitative results at this point. We can't we can't say that these kids' test scores are X percent higher or anything like that. Um, you know, they're all still in high school. They haven't. haven't left yet which is of course a good thing but that that's how it is at our school now too is that kids don't leave they graduate Mm. Um, but what we do have is is stories and so um, you know we we have one parent of a student in our program who who speaks quite eloquently about how when they were in high school um, members of their family were asked to leave the school Uh, they were fishermen and and the school didn't necessarily know how to handle them and and they were asked to to not come back to school Uh, and that that parents children right now um previously had been getting d's and and did not like school and they've been in the marine studies pathway and they're on the honor roll and they come home every day and they talk about what they're learning and the parent can't get them to stop talking about what they're learning
3: at school which is (laughs) i'm sure every parents you know they would love to have that problem save the second story for a minute we've got a couple of phone calls let's go first to rick from belfast welcome to talk of the towns rick
0: yeah hi good morning uh thanks for taking my call I worked with a similar program in Vermont for about 18 years, working with uh, low-income first-generation Vermonters, and I have a number of thoughts. But one thing I want to throw out to your guests there is that one thing that we discovered after, you know, working with the population that we work with, that the cost of college was prohibitive in a lot of ways in this, you know, first, second, or third year. And we felt that, you know, there's needed to be some kind of uh, follow-through with the population, uh, especially because you're dealing with parents who wanna do the best by their son or daughter but find themselves getting into really large debts and with these kind of debts they affect you for the rest of your life if you don't pay the money back or if you don't if you get yourself in a situation. And I think like I said, especially for the students, they have little to no knowledge about this. So I'm wondering if there was anything that you guys are doing to kind of follow up the population when you get down to this place, mm. um, Thanks for taking great the
3: great Rick um, if, response uh, either from um, our, our guests in the studio, uh, Todd West or Kim Hutchinson uh, Todd, what about uh, how, how are you helping um, families and students think about the cost of college and is the community saying, oh maybe we need to to uh, build up our scholarship funds? what's what's happening around the cost issues Kim well,
1: I certainly agree it absolutely is an issue and one of the biggest ones that we face um, the Cost of college can be so prohibitive for families, and I think also lends a lot of pressure to the students. They feel like they need to excel to make it worth the money and that they need to have their path mapped out before they ever even step step foot within a post-secondary classroom um, just to make the degree matter, Mm. you know, to have made it worth it for their families. So I just my own self i do a lot of scholarship applications work with the kids and try to work with the parents or to be somewhat helpful around what a financial aid package would look like and what options are out there but that really falls to our guidance counselor much more than myself um she starts to work with the parents freshman year to try to get them more on the page of what this financially might look like to send their um you know child to college and what the ramifications of that might be and we run into a lot of situations where parents receive a financial aid package well first they need to fill out the fafsa which can be a challenge but if that gets done uh, a lack of understanding about what the financial aid package actually means um you mentioned loans and you know things that can really affect or even cripple a family for a very long time and i know that Mrs. Robinson our guidance counselor and she lets me be a part of that as well but Really tries to make sure that parents understand the long-term and short-term implications of the funds that they might accept, so that those pieces are happening. Mm. I don't know what.
3: If- Todd,
2: yeah. what would you add to that? Yeah, I mean it, it's a real challenge, and I, I think one of the things that um, communities and and we don't have we don't have uh, good solutions. Um, you know, I think it's definitely For someone sure. mentioned about a month ago that it's a place we we should be looking into, and I agree. Um, But, you know, we have have this wonderful giving community, and so every year at graduation we hand out $80,000 worth of scholarships to our students, which helps get them to college. They're Mm -hmm. often payable in the second semester of the first year or the first semester of the second year, but it doesn't keep them there because in your second or third or fourth year, none of those are available. And so I think another challenge is also on the – You know, how how do you afford the end of college? Not just enough to get there, but how do you afford to stay there? Mm. Um, And it's a real challenge across the country.
3: Right. Let's go to a second call. I I think this is Fred from Tenants Harbor. Fred, welcome to Talk of the Towns. Uh, Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I'm very heartened uh, listening to the program and uh, remembering how uh, um, I didn't get, I got little or no guidance from high school to college floundered and then got back on track, got interested uh uh in learning and have been ever since. And uh so uh and this oh the hands on when I hear hands on I'm you know uh, diminishing the distinction between uh work, everyday life and quote education. Yes. Uh, and to me that's big big progress. Great. Right. Well, thanks for your call this morning. Oh, thank you. Yes. Um, uh- Give us a call: one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. As we talk with Todd West, principal at Deer Isle Stonington High School, and Kim Hutchinson, the coordinator of Project Launch, supporting um, high school students with with uh, gurus um, and support, other kinds of support um, to to get to college and then to stay in college. One eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. Todd, I said I'd give you uh, another chance to mm-hmm. tell a story. Um, I understand some of your um, Eastern Maine Skippers program. Went to Massachusetts, and and another person told a story.
2: Yeah, um, we this year we started a, a class called Pathways One Hundred and One. That's that's required to take part in these pathways. It's the only prerequisite to join the pathways, and it it tries to give students the skills to be successful in a different kind of learning that's that's more self-directed, that's more mm. community-based, that's more hands-on. Uh, students haven't been taught to learn in that environment, mm. and so we scheduled it for the fall semester. And we had a number of students who really wanted to be in the Pathways program, but couldn't fit that course and some other requirements in. And so we, we thought, well, what if we offered it as a one-week intensive class in the summer? And so we had 18 students show up out of 115 in our school population uh, for a week in the summer to do this course. And a lot of them were in the Marine Studies pathway, and, so, and a lot of them were fishermen. And so this was in the height of the fishing season. And this student mentioned that it cost him $1,500 to take this class in the school because that's the wages he was giving up. And uh, his, his comment at the conference was, that instead of dropping out of school to go fishing, he had dropped out of fishing to go to school that summer. Um, right. And it just, you know, everyone thought that was the best thing that was said in the entire two days.
3: Sure, sure. So, so it sounds like the this notion of, of project-based learning, uh, community-based learning, one of the things that you've done is is to present an issue to your mm-hmm. Marine Pathway students and the other folks in the, in the Skippers program. And this year it's green crabs that most people um, scratch their head and say, what's going to happen? What are some of the things that mm-hmm. students are pursuing around green crab?
2: Yeah, so we, we've asked the students to explore as part of the collaborative year-long project in the Skippers program this year, the, you know, the, the problems posed by invasive green crabs. And we've tried to make it local so they've monitored uh, the prevalence of green crabs in their local harbors. And then we asked each school to come up with a solution that really balances um, kind of mitigating the numbers of green crabs with the potential economic uses of them. Uh, you know, if you kill them all, you can't you can't use them to make money. Um, and so we're asking students to look at it from this multifaceted perspective and come up with a solution. And so um, we've got students who are exploring how you might uh, turn them into food. Uh, there's a group working on green crab, crab rangoons, that could be sold at your local restaurant. Uh, another group is looking at compost, and they've got a, an agreement with a local golf course to try this compost on part of their... Uh, Grounds this spring. Another group is looking at how green crabs interact with uh, lobster larvae and how that may impact the lobster fishery. And and all these schools are going to present their final projects next month, May 28th, at the Grand Auditorium in Ellsworth. And so uh, it's going to be open to the public. And if anyone wants to see seven really creative groups of high school students talking about how they would manage an invasive species in their community. Um, it'll be a really cool night. We're going to set it up as like kind of a Shark Tank style judging. Uh, so they're going to have to pitch their idea to the judges to, uh, in order to kind of pass the last test,
3: May twenty eighth so. at the Grand Auditorium in yeah. Ellsworth, and I understand the the Commissioner of Marine Resources is one of those judges. Yes,
2: he's he's right. slated to be one of the judges, right. and uh, you know.
3: Kim, what else? What else um, would you like to tell us about the uh, project launch program? What are some of the the challenges that you face, and and uh, how are you continuing to involve um, both community members and gurus in the in the project launch?
1: Well, one thing that we've done this year that has um, increasingly been successful. Um, it takes a little while for things like this to get established. But but we have um, monthly parent dinners, Mm. which we call the empty nest dinners. And uh, those are, like I said, four parents. And so we get together once a month and we'll have a a meal together and just give parents a chance to talk about how is the experience going and sort of what we had hoped and what seems to be happening is that Some of the parents that are established in the college experience are guruing some of the new parents that are coming along just from that format, being Mm. able to talk and be together and in a safe, supportive environment where they can share concerns that they have or triumphs, you know, right. what's happening with their uh, So just as,
3: as our caller, Rick, from from Belfast, the, the cost of college education is a, it is a terrifying thing for parents. And if they can't talk about it with each other, and, and you know, that there's a sense of pride and, and all of those things come sure. into it. So your hope is that by getting folks together informally, they can begin to support each other.
1: Well, and that is happening, and um, we also try to have a topic for each, you know, informal, um, not so scripted that there isn't room for... Uh, you know, personal relating mm, and whatnot. Mm. But we try to focus each session around a particular topic, like how to fill out the FAFSA, um, what to do if your child is really homesick and struggling and wants to come home, um, what is normal college transition and what actually indicates maybe a crisis or some deeper issue uh, that might be happening with their child. And just sort of cover the ground, you know, what, what we think the parents might be struggling with. Mm. So that it's been great, mm. really good. Um, and in fact, we have... Um, At the end of – or excuse me, the beginning of May, we have a great session coming up where we have uh, a professor at Bates College that's coming to talk about her experiences with challenges that rural kids in particular face with getting into college and staying there. Mm. So we're very excited about that, and we've wrapped that talk around the Empty Nest Mm. dinner and – just some great stuff happening there with mm. parents getting involved. Mm.
3: And, and Todd, um, kind of reactions from the community in general to the, the multiple efforts that you and, and your colleagues, in, both in the school and the community, what's the response been?
2: Uh, the response has been really positive, and I, I think it's because we're reaching out to the community and, and saying, you know, what, what do you want to see our kids leave high school with mm. and, and what can we do to work together? So we're not, we're not telling them what we think their children should be doing or or how they should be. But, you know, we're really trying to connect with the community and and work with them. And I I think that that's helped uh, really connect the community and and the school in a way that it it hasn't been in a long time, if ever.
3: And if you had, um, both of you, kind of as we begin to uh, think about wrapping up our our, uh, conversation here on Talk of the Towns, think about um, uh, communities that don't have This kind of success advice to to a community that's saying we're struggling with the same kinds of issues. What would be some of the first steps, Todd? What what would be a first step if a parent is listening, or a or a a community business owner is is listening? What would your advice be?
2: Well, my my advice would be, you know, Deer Isle Stonington Hmm. I think is a really special community, but it's not a unique community. Hmm. Every community has unique resources um, that that could be used to help support schools and students. Um, and so it's it's really just a matter of being open to that. And, you know, I, I think as, as schools, um, if that parent who's listening and comes and says, oh, I heard this radio show and I just had this idea, what about this thing in our right. community that we could do? Um, if the person in the school could say, "Yeah, let's figure out how to make that happen," that would be a great first step.
3: Right. And Kim, um, how about you? What, what What would you say to a community that doesn't have a project launch? Um, hopefully, this is a pilot program, and and it's going to see success replication. Uh, but w- what about the community that doesn't have that support now? How would you, what would you say? Might they do?
1: Well, I'm not sure. I mean, we've had a lot of magic come together i mean just from pulling people together and tossing around ideas and recognizing it as an issue um i think that could be just to start the conversation could be a place to start and Mm -hmm. um also to keep in mind that you know like i said magic you know project launch has done a lot and i've loved being a part of it it's a program like todd said you know things that work have worked in our community can work in other communities um this program isn't incredibly difficult. Right. It's, it's a, not
3: trademarked in that kind of it, way. It isn't. Right. You know,
1: the components of it are ones that people can tailor to their own and, and make work.
3: Do you have a website or do, a place where people can learn more about Project Launch?
1: We're developing a website. We have a Facebook page.
3: Great. And and Todd West at DRL Stonington High School, there's a website there. Yep. You can people can learn about more of that. Well, this hour has gone very fast. I'm so, so happy to have you here talking about this this program. We've come to that time when I want to remind you that this program was produced with support from Cooperative Extension and the Hancock County Extension Association. With offices in each county, Cooperative Extension is the major educational outreach program of the University of Maine. Our radio collaboration with WERU began in 1990 and continues with your support. Join us from 10 to 11 on the second Friday of each month for Talk of the Towns. Our theme music is a medley from Coronac on a Balmain House Highland music recording. Thanks again to our guests in the studio, Kim Hutchinson coordinator of Project Launch, and Todd West, principal of Deer Isle Stonington High School. Thanks to those who called in with your questions and experience. Thanks to our underwriters. Thanks to Amy Brown for engineering our program, and stay tuned for On the Wing with Joel Raymond. This is Ron Beard, your host for Talk of the Towns, wishing you a good morning. ¶¶ Support for WERU comes from...